Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Sometimes you visit your favorite coffee shop, and there, on the tastefully appointed marble and or granite and or metal counter, there will be a discreet tip jar. And we have one on our website. It's a tasteful donate button that says, remember the ladies. If you like us, and if you've learned something today, and you feel inclined to become an anonymous micro-sponsor, which we would greatly appreciate, please visit us at www.thehistorychicks.com. And click the donate button. We really appreciate it. Remember the ladies. And here's your 30-second summary. She lived a life as an unmarried, upper-middle-class Victorian woman until one hot summer day when the murders of her parents would propel her to the center of a media frenzy, never be foreseen, and would leave her forevermore synonymous with one of the greatest mystery stories of America. The end. Megan S., this show's for you. Let's talk about Lizzie Borden. Let's place her in history first. In 1892, Ellis Island becomes reception center for immigrants. The first basketball game is played in Massachusetts. Mrs. William Astor invites 400 guests to a grand ball at her mansion, thus beginning the use of 400 to describe the socially elite. The first escalator and the clothes dryer are patented, and the automatic ballot booth is unveiled. General Electric and the Sierra Club are formed. Grover Cleveland is elected president for his second term. Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite premieres. And on August 4th, Andrew and Abby Borden are killed in Fall River, Massachusetts. Andrew Jackson Borden and Sarah Morse Borden were married, and six years later, they had a daughter, Emma. A few years after that, another daughter, Alice, is born, although she does die at age three. A few years later, Lizzie is born. Now, at that point, Emma is nine, and Lizzie comes on the scene. And unfortunately, Lizzie and Emma's mother died when Lizzie was three years old. It's very sad. Now, at the time, Fall River, Massachusetts was a town of about 75,000 people, and the founding families of this town based their um, fortune on cotton mills. Like so many towns in New England, you'll Mm -hmm. see, have these kind of abandoned cotton mills Mm -hmm. that aren't in use anymore, but that's where the fortune of this town came from. And the Borden family in question, though, the one that we're talking about today, were still thought of as worthy of society, but had fallen into some hard times, this branch of the family. Right. And the father, Andrew, had had to scrabble his way back up to wealth by some shrewd property investments, and he had become Fall River's undertaker. So there's no shortage of clients in a business like that. So he was known as a a almost completely humorless and penny-pinching man. That makes sense, though, because similar to people that grow up in the, the Depression, you know, uh-huh. how they wash the aluminum foil. Right, and the, you right. Know. They know how to save their money. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not spendy. And so some may call him thrifty, and mm-hmm. some may call him tight. Tight. So I don't know. I heard more people calling him tight yeah, than I don't, thrifty. Yeah. <laughs> thrifty seemed kind for what this man was. So I can see that's due to the stresses of getting back ahead. I, you sure, know, absolutely. can't really blame him for that. Dad married again two years later after his first wife died. Um, was that a love match? I don't think so. I think he was really looking for someone to take care of his daughters. I think so, too. And, but at this point, Emma is 11, and Lizzie can, of course, you know, look for a mother figure, but she's already got it, and Emma, mm-hmm. who, is, who is being her female role model. Now, the, the wife he chose was in a similar situation to his. She had come from a formerly prominent family that had fallen on hard times, mm-hmm. and he chose, so many of the sources state that he chose a spinster daughter of a prominent family. So I'm just like, geez, <laughs> everyone has to be a spinster, whatever. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> well, you were either a spinster or you were... Married. Married. And she was 37. Yeah. When when they married. so Which at the time That's was old. very old. Uh, now it's not even going to cause a blink of an eye. No. So um, Abby had been described by rather unkind neighbors and families. Uh, she was very plain and suited to be a hard worker and a housewife. So... That's not really a romantic accolade. No. She's not Juliet on the balcony. (laughs) No. (laughs) For sure, unfortunately. Here we go, down the road quite a bit. Um, Andrew bought a new house for his family when Lizzie Borden was 11, and Emma was 20, still living at home. Emma's not married. But he chose to go through some perversity, not on the hill, the most desirable neighborhood, which he could completely afford and Mm -hmm. which his position in society completely entitled him Mm -hmm. to. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So he chose perversely to build or buy, I'm sorry, a house down near his business interests. So down near the mill. Right. A big house in a very unfashionable neighborhood and not really destined to fulfill the marital aspirations of his daughters. No. You're not, you know. Who would want to marry it? Yeah. And he doesn't ever modernize it. No. Even though indoor plumbing is definitely an option at the time, Andrew does not opt for it. Mm. I think he chose... I think that he chose to go there to to limit his exposure to people in society. I think he was just not one to talk to people. Oh, that's an interesting theory. Just given his personality uh-huh. traits. Yeah. And the fact that in this house they had a triple lock on the front door in 18 whatever. Right. Well, they'd had a, they had a couple burglaries actually. So, although uh we'll talk about that a little bit later. But yes, they had locks and no indoor plumbing. This house, which is actually still standing, mm-hmm. has no hallways because Andrew thought it was a waste of space. Now, it is a waste <laughs> of space, but instead of a, you know, clean layout, what you've got is this jumbled series of interconnected rooms. So, also, no modern conveniences because they were a waste of money. He's just <laughs> so charming. There was there were no gas lights, even, which, you know, that's actually starting to almost be obsolete at 1892. You're, you're working between gas and electricity at this point. It's kind of like mm-hmm. not the end of gaslights, but he's not even on the first wave of gaslights is what right. I'm saying. <laughs> I got, you know, I guess I'm just saying these are kind of on their way out and he still hasn't adopted them. Got it. Yeah. Not, yeah. And then there's no indoor plumbing. Mm. So I, I have to say, uh, this kind of fascinates me. In kind of a crude 12-year-old boy way, but they would just take their buckets of slop and throw them in the backyard. Mm-hmm. I mean, ew, but ew, and I know, here we are talking about poo again, but... Yeah, well, and there was a water closet in the basement, but it was, that basement door was from the outside, and it was hardly used. It was probably more trouble than it was worth, frankly, to locate the key and go out and... Mm-hmm. Get the door. I mean, if you had to go, you had to go. Plus, right. you have 17 <laughs> petticoats on, and, you know, you can't right. be wasted time getting to the key. So I don't know about that. But we, I'm going to give you a link to the floor plans online because it's really fascinating how convoluted this house is. And to look at it from the outside, it looks very nice. So what is it, a federal style? Yeah, it's just a two-story, very mm-hmm. rectangular. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a nice-looking house. So Lizzie, as a teen, is described as playful and talkative and unimpeachable moral character, although she went on this shoplifting spree that um, kind of got politely taken care of quietly on the DL <laughs> in the, the local merchants. So she was some stealing nice things, you know, yeah, well, secretly. I wouldn't be stealing crappy things. No. But she taught Sunday school at her central congregational church, mm-hmm. and she belonged to a temperance organization, the Women's Christian Chris- Temperance League. Right. And what they believed, this is a quick thing, what they believed is that uh, removing alcohol from from men mostly prevented the domestic abuse of children and wives right. and, and prevented, you know, economic distresses right. of the wives of the men who right. were. And that wasn't something that was really talked about at the time, the abuse of um, children and spouses. It's not something that was discussed, but um, these women were actually taking a stand for it. And actually, they still are. Interesting. Uh Uh-huh. She had a few suitors of the the kind of, may I have this dance, Miss Borden type during this time, but Mm -hmm. nothing, you know, no boyfriend. She wasn't actually a looker. No, no. She really didn't have a lot going for her. I mean, she wasn't... A beauty. She, her family, although they had the money, they didn't have the social standing. So there wasn't, the men that were of her level in society wouldn't have been attracted to her as, as a proper match. And the men below her stature wouldn't, her father would have just nixed that. Well, yeah, it was important at this time uh, among her society and in her peer groups not to marry beneath her station. But the problem is all the men of her station went to college. And they ended up marrying, as one lady in Fall River said, unfortunately, these girls are stuck because all of our boys go off to college and marry their college friend's sisters. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there were yeah. kind of a little group of spinster ladies of right. Fall River, um, you know, lurking around. <laughs> but um, Andrew didn't have a lot of joy in him, but he loved to go fishing. He really did. And that suited his temperament. Uh-huh. And he had um, a buddy. He didn't have a son. Or did he? Hmm, we'll ah. talk about that later. So Lizzie was kind of his fishing buddy, really. And, and I think they had a very, a close relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lizzie had a gold ring from when she graduated from high school. Right. And she gave it to her father, and he wore it on his pinky. And it was on him the day he died. He died. Hmm. Here we go. Here Lizzie and Emma are, still at home, no prospect of marriage. 
at all. And when Liz- pretty resigned to it, it's not yeah. going to happen. Now, when she was 27 years old, her dad gives a house to his wife's sister. Now, I am of the opinion that it was just... I mean, they've been married for 24 years at this point. So mm-hmm. her family is his family, really. And he owned so much property that I didn't think it was a big deal if the sister needed a house to go ahead and give her one. But who did think it was a big deal? Emma and Lizzie thought it was a big deal. They freaked out. Big time. And they demanded a house of their own in their name. They Mm -hmm. demanded a house. Well, perversely or not, I'm not sure if this was deliberate. He gave them a house in a very undesirable part of town. So there's no way they'd go live there. Live there. No. And in Victorian times, women didn't generally go off and live on their own. Although they were old enough. Because once yeah. you hit 30, I guess you were just an honorary chaperone, <laughs> which is really sad. You're covered. Yeah. Once you hit 30, you're safe from being bothered. Right. They, but they didn't have any income of their own. That their, unless their father gave them some money, they had no income generating skills. They, that's just... There's no, you know, how are they going to pay for things? So they they did rent out this house for income for Mm -hmm. a while. And then when it became bothersome, they actually sold it back to their father for cash, (laughs) which seems like a formality (laughs) to me. Mm. So at 30, Lizzie, actually, I'm so happy that she did get out, you know, this once. She's 30 years old and um, a bunch of Fall River ladies, Mm -hmm. the aforementioned maiden ladies, Mm -hmm. all got together and went on a grand tour of Europe. Awesome. So that's good. Hooray. Finally. I'm glad. Her sister Emma, though, at 39, was very shy, um, but she was a good correspondent with her small circle. But really, Emma Emma didn't go on no. this trip to Europe, and she was always kind of shy, so not very many people saw her. So how did it go on a daily basis around this weird rabbit warren of a house <laughs> where everyone was kind of grumpy at each other all day? And on each, I mean, they didn't eat their meals together. Mm-mm. They did not. Emma and Lizzie did not get along well with Abby. They didn't eat together. They didn't. The, the girls had their rooms in the front of the house, Andrew and Abby. Abby's rooms were in the back of the house on the second floor. Um, the maid, Bridget Sullivan, lived on the third floor. She had a room up there. I have to say that I have a little pity for the stepmama in this case because <laughs> here are all these grown daughters still lurking around and causing tension when it could have been had they just gotten out of there she would have she would been the mistress of her own house right. but as it was it was a very weird. There's three three women together are I mean no offense, but there's always going to be some some type of tension when you get that odd number. You know what's weird, though? There's differing views on how they got on. Like, a lot mm-hmm. of the, the lady friends, like the church ladies, mm-hmm. oh, they get along great. I don't, you know, no problem or whatever. But, like, there were some servants hired to do some sewing, some big sewing, like um, bedding or curtains mm-hmm. or something big. And they reported that Lizzie was stomping around, throwing things, saying that her stepmother was a stupid old thing, that she had hardly anything to do with her. So it's weird how free you think to talk before people that you don't view as people, you know? Yeah, they can see the real, yeah, the real story were out in public. So, so I'm more inclined to take the polite church talk away and think that Lizzie really was not yes. thinking too highly of her stepmother. No. Now, Dad seems to be either completely oblivious to this, like Cinderella, uh-huh. <laughs> the bubbling doofus dad occurs right. again. Right. Real life. Or is it one of those situations like Cinderella where they expect that the women folk will just handle matters of the women folk and there's no reason to... He, well, who's he going to side with? If he sides with his wife, he ticks off his daughters. If he sides with his daughters, he ticks off his wife. Oh. There's no there's no waiting for Andrew. So walking out of the house and going to tend to his business matters is probably the best course of action I for know. Him. I think he was more like, let's get out of here. And this seemed to be, to me, this whole thing about the house was what broke the family. And it seems ridiculous ridiculous it's almost like somebody didn't return a turkey platter at thanksgiving and then all of a sudden it's on well the turkey platter is just the target there was there's stuff going on below the turkey platter so since (laughs) emma was almost 12 when their dad remarried and lizzie was almost three i'm almost thinking any poison like stepmother replaced our mother thing had to come from emma Emma. because lizzie was too little but in 27 years, there's plenty of time to get on each other's nerves in a million ordinary ways. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you needed a grand motivation. So at 31, uh, Lizzie gets back from Europe and some money and jewelry is stolen from a dresser in the parents' bedroom. And everyone, mm-hmm. given her teenage delinquency, right. points to Lizzie. Right. Everyone. So this crazy locking up of random doors started in the house. Like, I can't even explain it. Some doors were locked and the key was just gone. Some doors were locked and the key placed on the mantle. Some doors were just blocked by furniture. 
it seems just like the walls are closing in, kind of. Mm-hmm. On the already crazy house. On the already crazy house. And it became this crazy rabbit warren. And I'm almost like, is this symbolic of people are just closing off? Like, oh. It's just like, right. I couldn't. If I, had, if I had written a book, everyone would be like, that's way too obvious. It's all just locking up. <laughs> but really, it's yeah. kind of creepy. I yeah. just, I would not even want, I kind of don't even want to see the house. It just seems like it would be just a bad place to be. <laughs> Okay. Bad mojo, is that yes. the word? <laughs> so, 1892 occurs. Now, here's some events that happened before the big day, which right. we will get to. Okay, here's just, let me just present these, like CSI. Factor one. CSI. Lizzie um, loved animals of every kind. Lizzie had noticed some wild pigeons that were kind of um, flocking and circling, flocking and circling, and she had this roost built for them and put in the attic so they'd be safe from little boys slingshotting them down and things, so they'd have a place to be uh-huh. in the bar- in the attic of the barn. The so. barn. Yeah. And, um, you know, she took care of them and, you know, mm-hmm. would sprinkle grain around, and they were, you know, not really her pets. She didn't name them or anything, but... You know, she really liked him a lot. It was a project. It was a pro. Yeah. And Lord knows she probably needed a project. Because if you can't go anywhere in the house and you don't want to talk to anyone, I don't know what else. And you don't have a job to go to. I mean, Sunday school is only once a week. And she did, she did belong to other organizations, but they didn't obviously take up all that much time. Like the Fruit and Flower Society. I love that. I love it too. It's interesting. (laughs) We should start one. I think so. Okay, so back to these pigeons. This is so disturbing that I actually closed the book when I read this for the first time. I closed the book. <laughs> That's interesting because when I read it for the first time, I was like, oh, my gosh. So Dad comes <laughs> Give home. Give me more. Dad comes home all, for some reason, like, what business is it of yours? Anyway, mm-hmm. who cares? When are you ever in the barn? But he takes it into his head to take a hatchet, a hatchet, and cut off all their heads. Because mm-hmm. C- some neighbor boys had broken a window in the barn. It's like, dude, you're worth $5 million. Buy a new window. That's right. Or tell the fathers of the guys not to break windows or make them pay for it. He but just cut left off, them there. Cut off the heads of her pets yes. and then Lizzie <laughs> discovers them. This is, uh, and so that's that, pretty morbid. That is morbid. I and mean, that's, that's sending a message. That's not taking care of a situation that you think. Mm-mm. You, if you were taking care of it, you would release the pigeons. Or you would, if you were going to chop their heads, you'd clean it up. Or you'd get a servant to clean it up. It's just dirty. You wouldn't I, leave it there for your daughter to, who's taking care of these creatures so to that's, walk in on. Yeah, that's kind of mentioned several times as the thing that just broke. And yeah, yeah, the thing that broke their relationship mm-hmm. apart completely. And I can see, you know, already, I guess we didn't know what kind of a jerk he was because mm-hmm. he kept it all in his big, heavy overcoat and he wore right. every day, he even wore in the every summer. day. Right. But um, so, yeah, he mm, crazy dude. OK, number two, Uncle Morse, the brother of their mama. Original Morris, mama. Right. He was in town to arrange the transfer of the family's summer home in Swansea to whom, not clear, but it may have been to a member of Abby's family, another member of Abby's family. Or it could have been that it was just going to be sold. And Swansea was, you know, where they used to go fishing and it had some summer memories right. uh, for the girls. And the father was trying to, Andrew was trying to get his estate settled before his death, whenever that would be. He was trying to get things tidied up a little bit and selling, you know, sell some property and going to get everything in order. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. was one of the things that he chose to do is sell this Swansea home. But, you know, the Swansea house kind of had some emotional meaning for the girls. And, you know, so that's number two factor. And they yeah. were just as upset mm-hmm. at that as they were the first time he and, sold a house or gave a house away. And so um, this major disagreement erupted. This is factor number three. And the sisters bolted out of the house um, and they went to, well, toward, anyway, um, a town called Fairhaven where they had some friends at New Bedford. So they went to Fairhaven was their stop off. New Bedford is in Massachusetts. We're still in Massachusetts. They're not touring all of the states. or. So Emma went on ahead, but Lizzie turned back. And when she got back to town, I can imagine she's still full of rage because she stayed in a boarding house for four days rather than going home. Going home. Interesting. It's just something's going on. You know, something's bad. The dysfunction level of this family. Extraordinarily (laughs) high. Yes. And it hasn't even peaked (laughs) <laughs> now there's some um there's some circumstantial things that happen two days before the big day lizzie did go to see the pharmacist for prussic acid uh she said she needed to clean a seal skin cape i you know okay but now, she's denied she is denied I, I, you know you need to have some more reason than that but prussic acid was used for any number of things none of which i mean lizzie wasn't in industry or whatever and the pharmacist just just and i can just see him going well ask your father to come in and get it right i can just see him saying that too but that you know that's that's not what he said, but whatever. 
She's denied she doesn't get prussic acid and known poison, but in a Victorian house, there are innumerable amounts of poisons. Just to clean the silver. I mean, you've got poison everywhere. So I don't know that that's really... But anyway, on the big day, everyone has been as sick as dogs vomiting into the backyard. Now, is that poison? Or is it the fact that Mr. Borden was extraordinarily cheap and meals were recycled ad infinitum? And it's hot. It's, and it's summertime. Hot. I mean, think of our modern food preparation. I mean, as soon as the food gets down to a good temperature, we stick it in the refrigerator to, and then we heat it. He bought this mutton that was questionable to begin with, made it into a, a, a meal, and then they just kept eating it over the course of the day, of, of a few days. Yeah. I think it's all well and good. You know. There's no refrigeration in the house, it's, and it's summer. <laughs> well, recycling's good until you recycle it back in the backyard that some, that same backyard everyone's throwing their poop I know. In. What? How are plants growing back? Let's talk about the flower and fruit society. Well, let's have a barbecue out there. I know. They, their plants are being fed some serious manure. Oh, okay, so that's a good <laughs> I would want to eat them, but... Mm -mm. But, yeah, so the whole family is chucking oh, a few just, days just beforehand. Um, and also, Lizzie goes to her friend, Miss Russell, and has this conversation with her about she, she has this premonition of something bad happening, mm -hmm. which we have all seen CSI, we know. You can't just set up this stupid alibi ahead of time like this. <laughs> we all would have seen through this. But the innocent Miss Russell, oh, dear, why would you think such a thing? Mm -hmm. She was talking about how her father has many enemies, which may, in fact, be true. It might. Uh, so, you know, he's not, we know now that he's, he's not a nice guy. No. And she mentioned that she had heard him arguing with a man about some property. Right. Um, so there's the setup. There's the setup for the big day that we are about to talk about. So let's take a little tiny break. And when we come back, we will talk about the famous event itself. again all right we are at august 4th 1892 what happens that day first off john morse is staying at the house that is the brother of sarah who is the mother of lizzie and emma so let's call him first. uncle morse oh that's a good idea just because you know just for conversation's sake yeah so the cast of characters include dad stepmother lizzie uncle morse bridget the maid who emma and lizzie always called maggie is that funny that is interesting. Because they had a previous housemaid named Maggie, mm -hmm. and they just thought it was too much trouble yeah, to learn her to new, learn name. A new name. So they always called her Maggie. <laughs> now, I will say, I have been introduced at work as the new James, so I know it's not that yeah, offensive. No. It just is like cause it's a shorthand, you know. Right. Oh, this is our new James. Right. So I've been new James. I'm fine. So, but anyway, so so Bridget was Bridget there. Bridget Sullivan was there as well. And Emma is gone. Emma is still mm -hmm. away with those friends right. in New Bedford. Right. Lizzie's so. checked out of the boarding house and is back at home. So Bridget is told to wash the windows on this exceedingly hot day where she has to actually go check in the yard because she's still sick. Well, I have, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she goes outside to vomit first before she cleans the windows. Right. So she's really dedicated to her work. The, for breakfast, they had five-day-old mutton roast. Yum. And broth from that five-day-old mutton roast. I hope they scraped off whatever yeah, had floated to the top. Yeah. And bananas and oranges and cookies and coffee. It's a pretty famous menu. It was published in all the newspapers. Uh -huh. <laughs> this is what the deceased ate before they died. <laughs> well, and they knew what it looked like because afterwards they autopsied them and took the contents of their stomach <sighs> and sent it to Harvard for testing. Oh, that's right. I forgot about I that. I know. We're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's get them killed first. Okay, so after everyone um, dispersed, the men went to work, various mm -hmm. business things they had to do in town. So basically right. the men went to town. Separately. Separately. Bridget went outside, groveling to vomit and then get her buckets and stuff. Right. Abby started cleaning the house. Having a servant didn't mean you didn't have to clean. Just with right. one servant, you, you probably had to do a lot of it yourself. Right. So she went to do some cleaning in the guest room upstairs and no. away. Where is Lizzie? That's can, the question. That's the question. We can tell you what she claims. She claims she was out in the barn getting some sinkers for a future a fishing trip. 
with her father. Meandering through the garden. She's wandering. The not back in any garden. Her, not the back, the back well-manured garden. Just hovering as a Victorian lady would, I guess. I don't know. While the other Victorian ladies were actually doing some work. Yeah, that's true. So sometime, though, around... Well, now, she also said that she was going to iron some handkerchiefs. I don't know how long that's supposed to take. It takes me forever because I can't stand it. Well, iron, you had to heat the irons yeah. up on the stove, so there probably was a little more work to it than that. But, yeah. You know, so theoretically, she was going to iron the handkerchiefs, and then while she was waiting for the irons to heat up, mm-hmm. she went to look for these other pieces of iron in the barn. Right. Theoretically. It inspired her. I guess. What an iron hunt. Oh, hey. So sometime around 10 a.m., Abby, stepmom, was struck 18 or 19 times in the back of the head with an axe. In her room. In the guest room. Mm-hmm. That she was trying to clean. All right, the guest room. So derailed her whole plan of cleaning. Yeah. It's now a big mess. It's kind of counterproductive. Kind of very counterproductive. She may as well not have done it. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. So um, right about then, like right then, simultaneously in another part of town, Andrew's getting a shave. So we know where he is. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Five people saw a suspicious looking man lurking around the house and someone saw a strange carriage around outside. You know how when your neighbors have a visitor, mm-hmm. there's like a car, you're like, huh? And you, you kind of notice, but it's not like, what? But there was a yeah. carriage they didn't right. recognize, so they made a... Sort of middle note. Right. Like, wonder who that, that is. Yeah. Being nosy neighbors that we it's all a, are. It's a small town. Yeah. So Andrew came home, and he was let in by Bridget. There's triple locks on the front door. That seems so strange to me. Because, <laughs> you know, even as recently as, you know, what, the 70s, people in small towns in America didn't lock oh. their doors. Oh, no. Maybe even now. I don't know. I live in the city. Well, I, I live in a small town. We do have locks and security systems and big dogs. Okay. Weapons. <laughs> well, there you go. But um, I'm just thinking, that's so strange for the time. Anyway, so Bridget had to let him in for some reason. He didn't have a key. Or maybe he didn't expect it to be locked, which I never thought about. Oh. Like, maybe he was juggling the door angry. Like, why the heck is this locked? Who locked <gasps> this dang door? Seriously, I just thought of that just now. Huh. Like, why wouldn't he have had a key? Anyway, so Bridget has come in to, to do the downstairs inside now that she's got the downstairs outside fixed. Right. She. I don't think she was doing the upstairs windows. I think she had called it on that deal. Bridget, when she let him in, heard this strange laugh from upstairs, but just assumed it was Lizzie. Lizzie. Mm-hmm. If I heard a strange laugh, I guess I'd be like, "Is this? Who is that?" I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. I don't. If it was, I don't know. If it sounded vaguely familiar, it wasn't like she thought she was alone in the house. There's so many people there. Oof. So about eleven o'clock, Lizzie saw her dad settled in for a nap. She actually took his shoes off and made him a little pillow under his head and and asked if he wanted the window open or shut, and kind of general dutiful daughter type things, which is interesting, or so she says. But his shoes were off, and a jacket was under what was left of his head later, so that story kind of (laughs) stood. Now, right about then, she went to Bridget and kind of tried, I don't know, did she try to get Bridget out of the house, or was it an innocent, hey, they're having a sale on yard goods at so-and-so, and then quoted this absurdly low price. Mm-hmm. Bridget was interested, mm-hmm. but kind of vomity, right. and she wanted to go lay down. So instead of taking advantage of this spectacular sale on fabric mm-hmm. and going downtown in a 90-degree day, she decided she'd go take a nap in a 100-degree room. Yeah. Sounds great. So Bridget's upstairs on the third floor, and right about then, she heard the clock strike 11 in the town. You know, how you know the id dings or whatever, mm-hmm. so you count them idly. Okay, it's 11 o'clock, and right about then was when Andrew was killed by 10 blows as he slept in the face. Cut his eye in half. Yeah. Ew. So, Lizzie, let's almost immediately, theoretically, came down the hall from being outside and kind of glanced over and saw her father on the couch and screamed for Bridget to come. Right. Although she did scream, Maggie, come quick. <laughs> Which, it just fascinates me. Yes, you have to answer to whatever they call you. Hey, you, I, I, I get that. So. <laughs> so she screamed, you know, go get Dr. Bowen. Someone's killed father. Okay, so, yeah, Bridget goes and gets to get the doctor, but almost immediately, Mrs. Churchill, the neighbor, is there. So it's not like there's any time to, like, wrap stuff up or mm-hmm. put it somewhere. Because or... people are there. Right. People are, I mean, Bridget does leave, but Mrs. Churchill, who has been hanging over the fence, like, I can, uh, all day, just like nosy, small-town <laughs> neighbor girl. What's the commotion? Your maid ran down the street. Really? You have nothing else to do. <laughs> Besides keeping track of Bridget, I mean, Maggie's, I mean, Bridget. (laughs) I know. So anyway, Mrs. Churchill's over almost immediately um, and to comfort her or whatever. She didn't see any blood anywhere on Lizzie. You know, later they Mm -hmm. talked to Mrs. Churchill. There's no blood anywhere. Lizzie's hair was all neatly pinned up, not even messed up. 
She was obviously shaken, you know. Who she wouldn't be? Perfectly natural. With his face gone. Now, I will tell you, though, if I came into a room and somebody was laying there with a no-face axe wound on the couch, mm-hmm. the very first thing I would do is leave the house. I know. I wouldn't be hanging around either. No. Because if, in fact, it was a stranger, were they in the house? I'm just freaking out. Like, everyone's so comfortable about just hanging out in the kitchen. <laughs> It just astonishes me. Yeah. I don't know. This happens all the time. What do we do? We go to the kitchen. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm with you, too. I would be out of there faster. But it's hard to say. You know, shock. Who knows what it does My first thought would be, where is, where is this guy? I'm out of here. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. But, yeah. And there's no weapon laying around. No. Right. So it wasn't like, oh, something happened to him with this axe. It wasn't there. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They never... No. So um, at 11.15, Mrs. Churchill decides she was going to go ahead because nobody had come back with the doctor and nobody had come back with the police. She was mm-hmm. going to go ahead and have, you know, go next door and have her servant go get everyone because evidently it wasn't going fast enough for it Mrs. Was. Churchill. Right. It's been, seriously, like 11 minutes. Yeah. And nobody's got telephones or cars. No, it's no. Everybody's running as fast as they can. Right. So anyway, uh, in between that, there is about five, five minutes when Lizzie's left alone. Well, Alone in the house with two dead parents, right. although we didn't know about the second one. Not yet. As a civilian right. yet. So then all she's left alone for just five minutes, and then back comes Bridget running. Back comes the doctor. Back comes their friend, their close friend, Mrs. Rus- Miss Russell, sorry, mm-hmm. comes back. Everybody's there. Everybody's running around crazy. So one policeman comes. Only one, because everyone else is on their annual picnic. At Rocky Points. (laughs) And he's the unlucky dude that drew the short straw and had to lurk around the police station. So he's the only one there. Right. And And it's a bit, it's suddenly a very big crime day. His name was George Allen. And all the, yeah, so all the rest were at their picnic. And so he did this whole, you know, opening of the linen closet and we're looking. He didn't go upstairs. He didn't go upstairs. Right. And so then he picks the strongest st- bystander of the many bystanders that are now standing around in a little looky-loo circle around right. the house. He picks the biggest civilian and has him guard the back door. But nobody goes upstairs. Very interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And so they... Maybe s- it's polite. These are Victorian times we're talking about. Well, now, I have read a book where where one of the ladies says to someone, well, I don't know Mrs. Smith well enough to go be upstairs in her house, mm-hmm. so I'll have to wait for someone to come back down. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was a convention that you just upstairs was private. Right. And you didn't. But still. Nobody wonders where where Abby is. Well, right then, like, you know, the policeman goes away to Rocky Point to break the news that the picnic's yeah. over. That's right. Basically. So he he goes to send a message that way and get some more police because he feels overwhelmed and who wouldn't. So Mrs. Churchill and Bridget send a message to Mr. Morse and they, they think they should probably telegraph Emma. And they kind of get some plans, and they're like, no, where's your mother? We probably should tell her. Let's let's go get her where she is. Lizzie had told Bridget that a message had come to, to take Abby away to see some sick friends. But, you know, no one had the message, and no one knew who these friends were. Mm-hmm. And then Lizzie said something bizarre. I think I heard her come in a while ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, when was a while? What? When did you hear her come in a while ago? Now, that does sound kind of weird, except for the fact that they really did never talk. They'd come home and not speak right. to each other on their way upstairs. So the comings and goings wouldn't have been of any interest. So, I mean, that's a little less weird knowing that their family's kind of like that. Right. You know, to me, it was like you heard her come in some random time and didn't say anything or whatever. So anyway. Or we could just chalk it up to shock still. Yeah, I don't I know. I mean, if I saw my father like that. So Mrs. Churchill and Bridget, describing their hearts falling into their stomachs, are the first ones to go upstairs. Mm-hmm. Number one. I wouldn't go upstairs. I wouldn't. I'd wait for the policeman. Or I would bug out and go to Mrs. Churchill's house. It's yeah. right next door. Yeah. I don't know why we're not thinking of this. So anyway, things now start to click away. So the so the re- replacements come. They find Abby upstairs. They find right. her. She's on the guest bed. She's face down. In a it's, similar condition. It's bad news. Andrew. Still, everyone stays in the house. Here we are, staying in the house. Now we got two of them, and we're all staying in the house. Okay, well, let's just say, if a criminal did that, wouldn't they leave? Where would they be hiding? In the basement? Well, I don't, I don't know. know. But I I'm think just that they would get out of there as fast as they possibly could. Maybe that's yeah, what I they guess. were thinking. Maybe. Maybe they were thinking that. It's all conjecture. So, so the officers start to arrive <laughs> fresh out of the picnic area. So, um, Officer Medley is his name. I love that name. Medley? Um, Officer Mendy. 
That's what that sounds Mendy? like. Medley. Like, medley. Like a song. Like a medley. A medley. And yeah. I won't sing. <laughs> oh, man, every time I try. So Lizzie uh, had her first little interview and said she'd been in the barn, you know, looking for the fl- fishing floats. Sinkers. Sinkers, sorry. Sinkering, floating. I'm not a fisherman. <laughs> They're made of lead, I guess they sink. Yeah, they sink. <laughs> I'm silly. Okay, and so during that initial search, um, hatchets were found in the house. But, you know, it's a Victorian house. You had to cut firewood. You had, I mean, hatchets are hatchets. Yeah, I and mean, nothing's covered in blood. No, well, one did have blood and hair on it actually. And so that one was taken. It didn't look new, though. And then one looked like it had been freshly broken from the handle. Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried to break an axe handle? I know. I mean, that's that's a- when I'm reading this, could Lizzie have broken off the handle? Uh, the I bloody just, handle? I just don't know. I don't know how to break an axe handle. So there's two Except with another axe. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so the photos that were taken are quite gruesome, and we are not, in fact, going to post those. We will not. On the show notes, but, you know, and in fact, I don't even know that I want to link them, just in case little hands get a hold of the of the clicker. Uh, I would just say that if you are of an age to search for yourself. It's very and, easy to find them. And, and feel brave, um, go ahead and search for them. But I really feel like it's irresponsible of us to even have a link to those on our show I notes. completely agree. But if you want to see them, they're there. Don't and eat there don't are anything some, beforehand. Yeah, and there are some interesting things. Lizzie took off his shoes. He was taking a nap, but the, his shoes are on in the photos. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that? Well, probably because by the time they got around to taking the pictures, and this is Victorian times, they were respecting his body, which has already been moved several times, you know, looking at the wounds and whatever. Someone put his shoes on. Or they never came off. And or the they never came focused. off. Yeah, I don't know. Which is just one of the really amazing things about this story. It could go anyway. Anyway, for so long. Yeah. So the doctor, Bowen, gave Lizzie some sedatives. And so from then on, her conversation was understandably modeled. Um, you know, meanwhile, searching, searching. The police are all over the house searching. They're finding nothing. But one of them did notice that Dr. Bowen, the doctor giving the sedatives, took a few pages out of his own notebook and put them in the kitchen fire and burnt them. So wouldn't you have loved to know what was on those pages? So something Lizzie said or did, Mm -hmm. he was protecting her. I I don't know. I did read some speculation that he had been treating her in the past for undisclosed or a variety of conditions, and so maybe that had to do with it. I don't know. There's there's discussion that she was uh, on her period at the time of the murders and that she had some type of condition where she would go into a fugue state and, and was kind of crazy. Yeah, oh my goodness. So it could be anything. Yeah, it could be anything. We'll never, ever know. So the night kind of closes down. This has been all day, really. This All the rest of the day, everyone stayed in the house that night. And slept, including the dead bodies, which were laid out on the breakfast table where the mutton had been only 12 hours before. <laughs> they were laid out yeah. and covered in a sheet. Mm-hmm. And there they were on the dining room table. Um, Excuse me. Pearl! <laughs> yeah, that's not good. I don't know. Um, everyone stayed in the house that night except Bridget, who honestly never came back to work for them. And who could blame her? But she found shelter for the night with some friends and just mm-hmm. never really came back. I mean, she was around for questioning, but she right. never came back in the house. And, and the trial. Yeah. Yeah. And so a funeral was held for Ma and Pa, but the bodies Just were... Just a couple days later. And that's that's pretty... Co- I mean, that's pretty common, too. For the, yeah. Yeah, for the day. At the house. But the thing is that the bodies were seized as evidence, so mm-hmm. they were never buried right then, you know. They were seized as evidence and taken in the cemetery to an empty tomb, uh, an empty stone crypt, mm-hmm. for further investigation. Mm-hmm. So they were not going to let those that evidence go. Get in the ground. Mm-hmm. They had to take the stomachs out and send the contents. Yeah. And all that. So the dress Lizzie claimed to have worn that morning, which was blue, so they seized a blue dress. Did they seize the blue dress? I don't know. But they seized a blue dress, mm-hmm. and then getting increasingly frustrated the next few days with the lack of anything at all to this case, the guy said, the main officer, had said, okay, now we are going to search this house down to the very smallest bump in the wallpaper. They are taking up floorboards. They are looking everywhere. They are finding nothing. In fact, after that first day, when those hatchets were found, Nothing substantial was found no. from then on. They did not find other things. Like, they did not find any footprints in the barn where Lizzie claimed to have been. Now, see, that's in dispute, too. Because there's a, See? The de- that's the cool thing about this story. Yeah, because the defense <laughs> stated that there had been some workmen, actually, up there uh-huh. doing some ventilation work in the barn. And they said that they had been up there a day before and they'd left footprints all over the place. Do, 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 do. So, uh, 
I don't know why they'd lie about that. I don't know. I and, don't know. And did the policeman even go up there? Or did he just... I just don't know. Don't know. So five days later, and Miss Russell decided this is her duty to stick around for her friends. So she actually right. has taken up residence in the master bedroom, which actually wasn't the site of the crime. Right. So not as creepy as it could have been to sleep in the master bedroom, perhaps. But five I don't days- know. I th- think sleeping in the bedroom of a recently dead couple in the house where they were murdered would yeah. be just pretty creepy enough. Five days later, Lizzie burnt a blue dress in the kitchen range. She said she'd brushed up against some fresh paint on the floorboards. Who's painting the floorboards? I don't know. I don't know. So Miss Russell said, you better not let anybody see you do that. Mm -hmm. And then Lizzie Borden affected innocence. Like, you should have told me before, as her hands are still feeding pieces of it into the fire. Right. (laughs) Huh. And it was a blue dress. Interesting. Pressure was starting to mount on the police to make an arrest. And they decided that they were going to take Lizzie in. There was enough inconsistencies to her story, enough reason her behavior was suspicious enough that they were going to arrest her. So they take her to Taunton. Yeah, there were not any facilities in Fall River for women prisoners, so the closest available place was up the river in Taunton. Up the river. Up the river in Taunton. So that's where she was, and a grand jury was convened, not of her peers, as no women appear on the grand jury. No. Mm. There was a trial to determine, an inquest to determine whether there was enough evidence to send her to trial. So the murder is done at the beginning of August. Lizzie is arrested uh, shortly thereafter, and the grand jury actually convenes on this in November, the end of November, and says, there's enough information, there's enough. That's where they hear the story of the blue dress from mm-hmm. Alice Russell. And the and the visit from the, of the night before. Yep. And there, uh, the, the dress was the thing, I think, that tipped the balance to get her to go to trial, because um, that was, <laughs> that's very incriminating evidence. And Alice Russell and the Borden sisters really never were friends again. They felt like she had betrayed them. But mm-hmm. you can't leave that out. That's What was she supposed to do? Yeah. It would have haunted her for her whole life if she had held it in. And during this same inquest, though, a matter of some confusion, again, where they had a doctor from Harvard where they'd sent all of the tools that were found in the basement, the assorted hatchets and everything, and the hatchet was found to have cow blood and cow hair on it, not human, and the other hatchet, the one with the freshly broken handle, came back with no traces of blood. Now, the bad thing for the police which could have cinched their case, none of them believed that fingerprinting was a good science. They mm-hmm. thought it was too ridiculous and experimental, and nobody would fingerprint anything. Right. So That could have turned totally turned the tie yeah. on the whole case. So there, there was evidence before and after, but the inconsistencies in her story and, and the blue dress was the thing, I think, that sealed her fate. And so she was, uh, it was determined that she was to stand trial. June 5th. So what happened? Lizzie stays in prison. In Taunton. And people come visit her. Mm-hmm. And Emma is back home mm-hmm. now. So she takes the wealth of the family and she hires a lawyer. Um, and his name is, is Mr. Jennings. He takes up the case almost immediately. Now, almost immediately, children of Fall River start a little rhyme, uh, which you're going to hear later. But Lizzie, everybody's heard it. Everybody's heard it. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Now, the speed with which that came out is kind of amazing. Until you realize, like, how many Charlie Sheen jokes are out there? How many, I mean, and how fast do those come that's, out? Yeah, don't even start me yeah. with Charlie Sheen. That yeah. is just, yeah, exactly. So, In that, But that's with our media today. But yeah. this is still, there's there's newspapers, there's ways to get information around, and it, it spreads really fast. And the information about the case spreads at a remarkable rate. It's often likened to the O.J. Simpson trial of our day with the media frenzy. The media that's available at the time are in a tither. And compounding problems for modern historians is the fact that a lot of newspapers that didn't have details would would make stuff up. Right. Because they needed the story. And, and, you know, so a lot of things are are kind of blown out of proportion or rumors. And they went ahead and printed them. Like, Mm -hmm. well, just go with this because we got to have something for the front page. You know, whatever. And so the boarding house chat got, you know, people would argue. It was... Theories abounded. Uh, absolutely. And just like now. Just like now. Abound. About everything. Now, one thing I'm concerned about or confused about is... Mm. Okay, this does have a point. Okay. That, <laughs> Yay, <laughs> point! Now, one thing I wondered about myself the first time I ever read about this story is... Okay, we've all seen that movie Titanic where Kate Winslet tries to hit the same spot twice with her axe when she's trying to free the Leonardo DiCaprio yes. character. Uh, right. That is just about how I would assume many Victorian women would swing an axe. 
Okay, I don't here's know. my question. Who cuts the firewood? But is it an axe or is it a hatchet? Oh, well, see, so who's to know? Nobody. I, ever I don't know. A, a hatchet would have a smaller handle, correct? Yeah. It would be easier for a, a woman to wield than an axe with a long handle. Hmm. So. Well, I guess I'm just like, I'm imagining a watermelon laying on a sofa and I hit it 10 times and I don't hit the sofa. I'm pretty good with the axe. Right. No, I'm and just hit the same area. I know. So yeah. And you don't, yeah. So I, that's the yeah. part that can, I mean, how good was Lizzie with such equipment? I don't know, but that's the one thing that stood out to me is like, wait a minute. I can't chop firewood myself. I don't know. I don't either. So that's the part that I'm, that's we have a gas fireplace. We just flip a switch. <laughs> so but let's get her through the trial. Short. You would think a double murder in a, in a town like this with all this conjecture flying, it would last for a very long time, but it doesn't. It starts on the 5th of June, and it ends on the 20th of June. Now, here's a couple of things that may have helped it be shorter, perhaps. The judge basically illuminated quite a bit of the prosecution's evidence that might have helped to convict her. He mm-hmm. struck from the record all of the talk Lizzie did um, with the officers at the house because he said she was under the influence of morphine, and mm-hmm. that couldn't be considered reasonable testimony. And the fact that she hadn't had a lawyer and hadn't been informed that she didn't have to go along with the, it's, this is way pre-Miranda. So right. he didn't, you know, reading her the rights or whatever, but he had stated that it was um, an inappropriate way to get the testimony and that it couldn't be relied upon. So mm-hmm. all of that was stricken from the record. All those inconsistencies, which seemed to point to her guilt, right. stricken from the record. Right. The whole buildup about the, the prussic acid and the poison had not only been eliminated by Mr. Wood, so that was all stricken from the record, so it couldn't prejudice the jury against her. They also went into this long treatise on the possible household uses of prussic acid, and it just became mm-hmm. this, like, it's, it's like, forget by it. by vinegar. Yeah. Yeah. He excluded all of that. And then he also, this judge, had a curious reluctance to hang a woman in the first place, because long ago in Massachusetts, in the 1700s, the last time they had hung a woman in that state, mm-hmm. um, I believe I believe her name was Bathsheba Spooner. How cool of a name is that? I know, Bathsheba really? Spooner um, was was hanged. I'm sorry, it sounds like a stripper name. Bathsheba. Bathsheba Spooner. I don't know. Sorry, and I just totally <laughs> screwed up your story. Go, Bathsheba Spooner. Well, when when she was hanged, not hung, hanged. hanged. When she was hanged, she was found to be five months pregnant, and Ugh. ever since then, the state has been very reluctant to execute a woman just in case. You right. Know. So her, the judge was, I think, a little bit perhaps on, not on her side, but more on the side of like, let's just, no, I don't think this is, there's enough evidence here. Mm-hmm. Ev- enough good evidence. The murder weapon has never been found. They couldn't produce the weapon. They had no evidence, real evidence linking her. And so the trial lasted for how long? The deliberation the, of the jury? The, the jury deliberated for an hour and a half. That's it. That And, and that's the time that they were gone in the room. And it's been said that they actually came to their conclusion almost immediately, but out of a sense of um, respect for the court and duty, they hung about for an hour or so after just to make it look like they were really Mm -hmm. deliberating. (laughs) But an hour and a half later, they come back and they find her not guilty. Yeah, and of course, similar to the O.J. Simpson trial, those that thought he was innocent celebrated and Mm -hmm. those who were convinced that there was no doubt that she was guilty just sat there in open-mouthed dismay, like, really? Really? And it was exactly, like, if you can imagine where you were during that verdict of the O.J. Simpson trial, you know about exactly how the mood was right? in the public. They're they're all watching. So it's less than a year. Within a year, they're murdered, she's off, she's acquitted, and Emma and Lizzie move on with their lives. So when we come back, we will talk about Emma and Lizzie's life after the murders. talk about what you know the aftermath really what happened after afterwards first off she doesn't change her name and she doesn't leave fall river lizzie and emma take their inheritance they divide it with abby's relatives without really without question just to keep things simple so they take they still end up at the end yeah andrew had five million dollars at the at the point of his death 
That's $5,800,000. So that's, you know, that's a lot of money. Once again, the, you know, average, if you, you know, multiply by about 33, which I'm not going to do. That's a big number. It actually may be a little higher because 33 was the revolutionary time. But, but yeah, it's um, quite a bit of money. They have money to burn, basically. Mm -hmm. So they, they can give it away to Abby's family. Oh, now they're all generous. Yeah. Get this behind us. So Emma and Lizzie buy a house, a nice house. In the section of town, her father refused to buy a Mm -hmm. house in in, 27 years ago. It's up on the hill, and they've named it Maplecroft. I love house names. Yeah. We should all name our houses. Name your house, and then tell us what you named it. I have a friend who calls his house Chestnut House and is trying to get the post office. You know, he tries to tell all his people, all his Uh friends, just address it to Chestnut House. And maybe Uh if it comes enough, he'll start just delivering it. (laughs) I don't know. Because this is an urban setting, I'm not entirely sure they're going to not just stamp it under livable and throw in the trash. Yeah. I wish, John, I wish you well in your efforts (laughs) to train the United States Postal Service. Um, so they're very wealthy women now, and 12 years after they move in together, Emma moves out. Why? Well, she's not really crazy about the people that Lizzie is hanging with. Yeah, Lizzie, uh, repeat, now keep in mind, this is all rumor and conjecture, but theoretically Lizzie has some uh, affairs with two married men at this point, assorted married men, and one assorted not married woman. Woman. Perhaps. Who's beautiful. Who is beautiful. She's an actress, Nance O'Neill. Lizzie is partying. She's making up for lost time, and there's some oats that are still left to be sown from the days before she was 30. I mean, right. Basically, when you have no fun, it's just like those kids from, from small towns that go to college and go mm-hmm. crazy. Right. Well, she's been pent up crazy for a long time. Right. Now she's going to go ahead and have her fun. And she has the money to do it. She does. And she changes her name at this point. After Emma moves out. But not for anonymous purposes. She just thought that Elizabeth Andrews was a more fabulous name than Lizzie Gordon. Yeah. So she but has she's lived the life af- 12 years after the, when all the hoopla is going on, she's mm-hmm. lived with the Lizzie Borden name. Yeah, and never saw fit to change it. I guess she figured everyone has known her her whole life, and if she's not going to leave, there's no point. But, you know. Yeah. So 22 years later, still not having exchanged words with yeah. each other, both sisters die within eight days of each other, or nine days, nine of, days, each days other. of each other. So Lizzie's 66. She has a gallbladder removal surgery and dies of pneumonia, actually is listed as her, her cause of death, I believe. I'm not sure turn-of-the-century surgery was all that safe, no. really, in any regard. Once it was, yeah, once the, after the surgery, her, her health went downhill. It was just a matter of what was going to get her. But nine days later, Emma dies in New Hampshire. Of kidney disease. So, you know. Nephritis. Nephritis. Still yeah. a very common cause of death. Interesting. Yeah. So they're buried with their parents in Fall River Cemetery, and I believe that the headstone reads Lisbeth Andrews. It does. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about her legacy. What lives on? I have to say, when we originally said, let's do Lizzie Borden, just to make Megan happy, (laughs) we were actually going to partner her with another and have it be a Chicks with Axes, but we started to research Lizzie and found so much out there that we decided to give her an entire episode, all of her very own. Her le- her legacy lives on. Here's the thing. If Lizzie didn't do it, who did? And the theories abound. They do. The theories abound. Of course, you can just run down the list of the, of the ones we've already talked about. It's Emma. She dressed as a man. She hung around. She was that suspicious character outside. Mm-hmm. She left her friends secretly. You know. No, it's John. It's Uncle Morse. Because he had uh, disagreements with investment schemes of Mr. Borden. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, people saw him all over Waybosset Street that morning. So, right. Yeah. A lot, most of these theories are, can easily be discounted. Mm-hmm. Um, or it was Bridget. Now, so, okay, if you discount all the members of the house, which certainly may have not motives, they have motives, they don't have motives, you know, there's so many pieces that could fall mm-hmm. or don't fall together. Right. It's intriguing. And so, here's the list of some other things. Andrew Borden's business. Associates, long-standing enemies, as he is a ruthless investor in property, perhaps some people that he's offended in the past have come back to haunt him. Lizzie had a suitor from a lower social class of whom her father disapproved. And those two theories, though, don't account for why why would they have killed Abby. Right. Yeah, we Upstairs. Don't know. Upstairs. First. First. So, yeah, that those can auto- almost automatically be discounted. Andrew Borden was always rumored to have fathered his son out of wedlock. Now, is this return 
to claim his inheritance, to be mad that he didn't get an inheritance or that he wasn't recognized. So that was another sort of credible theory. Then the last, really the last theory there is, is that there is an unconnected psycho running around with an axe. Mm -hmm. Curiously enough, not long after the murder, there was an angry psycho running around with an axe, which I think helped Lizzie Borden a little bit in her trial, too, Mm -hmm. because there was an axe murder. Right. What are the chances? Uh, Two axe murders. Two axe murders. A Portuguese um, worker had had killed someone, and it was proven that he was out of the town at the time of the Borden murders, but Mm -hmm. really, this time, how could you prove anything? Was it the same guy? Did you really know he was out of town? Mm -hmm. So really, that remains a credible theory. Right. Like so many. There's there so, are many so many parts that could be credible. And if it was Lizzie, why did she do it? What was her motive? Was it financial? Did yeah. she feel as if she wasn't getting it? Was it chemical? Mm. Did she have a chemical imbalance? Was the uh, condition she had during menstruation, was that? did that affect her? Or there is a, another theory, which we will not go too far into because, once again, of little ears, although we will link to this one, that she and Emma were victims of abuse at the hand of her father. Mm-hmm. So we will link there's, to that. But I there's some, There is a lot of the credibility, perhaps, to that theory. So recently floated and mm-hmm. um, quite talked about theories. Right. Yeah. And who's talking about it? A lot of people are talking about this. I am... I was astonished. Okay, what you need to know, there are still so many things that we just can't cover in the amount of time that we have. There are so many more details to this case. And you know where you can find them? You can find them at the Lizzie Andrew Borden Virtual Museum and Library. This site, and we will link you, um, has all kinds of documentation about this, as well as links to other, or the rest of the subculture for this woman. There is a magazine, it's called The Hatchet. It is printed uh, sporadically, but it seems to be about four times a year. And it is devoted to the Borden murders in Victorian life in Fall River. Um, There is also a forum, the Lizzie Borden Society Forum. Now, they're right on the header. It says, for serious discussion of the Borden murder case of 1892, Fall River in Victorian America. And I have to say, I did troll around on the forum. This is the most polite message board I have ever seen. So if you do go there, please have your best behavior on because these are people that are fascinated by this. And Quite honestly, any questions that I had, just looking through the forum discussions, I found them answered. And the way that these people discuss is very mature, and I think a lot of message boards can learn a lot from this particular group of people because their respect for each other is is quite astonishing. Right. I do. Th- yeah, especially in view of all the so many differing opinions and mm-hmm. so many facts that could fit in. Right. Um, yeah, everybody has a theory that really they can, quote, prove. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, yeah, I'm impressed as well by that forum, and, mm-hmm. and I really encourage you to go. We were... We're in doubt whether we should warn them that we're all coming. If you crash, we're really sorry. <laughs> but it's very polite, and it's not, you're an idiot. You you didn't read. Go read the information. There's so much information out there. They're very, very respectful. So, And I want to um, put forth the coolest. I came upon this by accident. It's actually a graphic novel. Some may say comic book, but I think that they graphic would be Graphic novel is a little, yeah, it's they, the respect it's due. They would be wrong. So there is a book called The Borden Tragedy by Rick Geary, and it tells the story of the entire trial in the manner of, if you've ever seen the Ripley's Believe It or Not illustrations, it's very similar. They're all pen and ink drawings, and it tells the whole story with insets and maps and floor plans, mm-hmm. and it's okay. very interesting. It's a very thin book, but it's got a lot of information in it, and I, I picked it up at the library, and we will link you to this, too. That's a good one. And HBO is actually in development for a miniseries with Beckett's... I just love this actress <laughs> from from Big Love um, called Chloe Sevigny, and I love her acting. She uh-huh. plays a completely crazy person on the show Big Love, and she's bringing that talent back to us, uh-huh. I believe, as Lizzie Borden, although TBD. Yes. I know she's the producer, but I, I keep thinking she's also playing Lizzie. I would. If I was an actress, I, I would, would go too. for the media Especially role, possibly. Especially if, if I were possibly. the producer. Absolutely. You call the shots. Absolutely. And so, they're still they're still writing it, but it's in production. Or it's, it's in pre-production. Pre-production. At this point. So, so I'm very excited about that. So to wrap up, over a hundred years have passed since this horrible tragedy has happened. It continues to fascinate us all. Mm-hmm. Why? There's secrets. There's an unsolvable puzzle that the pieces don't fit to. And I believe it's never going to be solved. It's never going to be solved. And that is one of the 
cool things about this particular story. So I love this. Uh, if you're brave, the Lizzie Borden house where the murders occurred has been turned into a bed and breakfast, which is reputed right. to be haunted by, quote, an angry man ghost. Who is that angry man ghost? I don't know. But if you're brave, feel free. We'll link you to the website. Make a reservation and update us and do try to catch a picture. Absolutely. If you can. It's, I'm telling you right now, I'm not in. So don't invite me. <laughs> there will be no trip to Fall River for Beckett. No, you know what? <laughs> Let's leave this on a happy note. There's another <laughs> resident of Fall River that I like a lot better. And who is that? Emerald Lagasse. Ah! <gasps> yeah. So let's just leave you with that. Bam! <laughs> Bam. And thank you for listening so much. We are grateful that you're listening, and we're glad to count you as our friends. Next time, we'll talk about a woman whose life was changed by a little bit of water and a lot of determination. For show notes and links to the things we talked about today, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at The History Chicks with, with an, an X. X. Or like us on Facebook without an X. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. The music in our podcast comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. Lizzie Barton got an ex, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. The killer in me loves the killer I see in you. Watch me.